Hi, I'm April Adams Pertwee. I'm your host of the Inside Story podcast. I've been telling people stories my entire adult life as a broadcast journalist, video producer, and digital storyteller. These days, you can find me at Lightbeamers, where I'm building a community of women who are ready to step into their brave by sharing their story with the world. On the Inside Story podcast, I'm bringing you some of the best stories I'm discovering from both the women inside of my community, as well as from around the streets of the internet. Plus, I'm digging deep to share some of my own stories with you along the way. My hope is that these stories will help encourage you to examine your own story so that you can share it with other people. I have a motto at Lightbeamers. When we share our stories, we shine a light. So with that in mind, let's get down to business today and share the light found in this episode. This episode of the Inside Story podcast is brought to you by the Storytelling Symposium. This is our community-wide annual event where we bring men and women together from all sectors of life to discuss what does it look like for you to step into your brave and share your story. I talk to so many women every day who think their story doesn't matter. It's not important. It's not big enough. It wouldn't make an impact. Or they know they have a story, but they just have no idea where to start and figuring out how to share it. This is exactly why I created the Storytelling Symposium. This special event is an opportunity for you to come and learn more about how to excavate the layers of your own story and how to give your story meaning and impact. We are all walking around with a story to share, yet so often women play small. They keep quiet and they let other stories just pass them by. So the symposium is your opportunity to step into the power of your story and to be surrounded by the most amazing speakers and guest teachers, as well as other attendees as we workshop together, we network, we share stories that will help empower you to step into your brave with your own story. This is a storytelling event like no other. It is seriously like our Super Bowl event of the year, and it's especially curated with you in mind. I am lining up the most powerful speakers who will both inspire and encourage you to step into your brave and the people lining up next to you that will be sitting next to you at the event will also be your cheerleader. So I invite you to join us for our next event, which is September 25th and 26th. 2022 in San Antonio, Texas. Not only do I promise you'll discover new ways to use your story, you'll also fall in love with the San Antonio cuisine and culture and community. And yes, there will be plenty of guacamole and tacos, I can assure you. So for more information on the 2022 storytelling symposium known as Step Into Your Brave, go to lightbeamers.com and click on the events tab in the top navigation bar and there you will find everything you need to know about this year's symposium event. Be sure to reach out to me if you have questions. You can find me at april at lightbeamers.com or of course, hit me up on the social media channels, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. I'm at Lightbeamers and I would love to hear from you. And most importantly, I hope to see you in San Antonio for our storytelling symposium in September. Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome to this edition of the Inside Story podcast. I'm so happy that you're joining us today and us being myself, your host, April Adams-Pertwee, and my guest today, Jenny Ward, who is dialing in 
from Nova Scotia up in Canada, specifically Halifax, which um, we're going to get all into because there's some really cool connections that we've been able to make just since connecting recently over on LinkedIn. I want to tell you how I found Jenny and how she came to sit here in the hot seat with me on the Inside Story podcast. And I'm going to tell you all about that first. I mean, in just a minute, but first I want to say hello, Jenny. Welcome. <laughs> hello. Welcome. So happy to be here. Oh, so fun. So we have a mutual friend. So interesting fact, Jenny, our paths crossed, but didn't really cross, but we, we both were connected at one point in our careers to Beachbody, which is a huge wellness and fitness company, big network marketing company that's been around forever. You worked um, with them doing some HR, I believe, and I worked with them doing some video producing back in the day. We have a mutual friend who we have kept in touch with all these years, um, Scott Salick, who you were posting and sharing about the fact that you were getting ready to do a TEDx talk. And then he sent me your post and he's like, this is a woman you need to know and you need to watch. <laughs> and, um, and I asked him, I said, is this your way of encouraging me to do a TEDx talk? And he's like, yes, it is. So I did, I started following you. I started watching you. And then I eventually reached out to you because I thought, gosh, we do need to know each other. So we hopped on a call and then discovered so many more similarities and just commonalities that you and I share. Um, definitely a love of storytelling, which we'll talk about today. But I think it's just always really fun to, to share how, you know, how I meet some of my guests and some of the reasons why, um, you know, just being active on social media, I think is so good. You know, I know a lot of people poo-poo it, but I say every day that, gosh, if you don't love social media, you're using it wrong because I love it because I get to meet people like you. So I'm so happy you're here. <laughs> oh, thank you. Me too. I feel the same way. I think there, as long as you can maintain a balance, I think some people's personalities, they can't maintain that balance with social media. Like some of us can't maintain balances with outer boundaries in our lives. Sure. Yeah. A lot, but I agree with you. When I think back to when I don't want to get ahead of myself, but when I first left Nova Scotia and moved to San Diego back in 2000, this was like pre-MySpace, pre-Facebook, pre-LinkedIn, like yeah, I got there and I truly did not know anybody. And I couldn't go online and see who do I know that lives here that I can meet up with or who can I get connected with? I truly did not know anyone there. And it was crazy. So it's just amazing how the world has changed because now if you want a job somewhere, you don't have to find a, an ad in the paper and apply. You just see who you know that works at the company and start working your network. So yes, I agree a hundred percent. It's so true. It's so true. Um, you know, my, my network for sure has just exponentially grown since not only just getting on social media, but getting on social media purposefully, you know, and intentionally. And connecting with people that I genuinely want to, you know, to know because of what they're doing in the world. You're a perfect example of that. And um, as a result, being willing to get on a Zoom chat to say, hey, let's just talk and meet and, and let's see if there's any connection here. Let's see if there's any way I can support you or you can support me really with like zero agenda. You know, like I didn't get on and suggest we have a chat so that I could try to get you as a client, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just really purposefully and intentionally trying to connect with other people who, um, 
you know, can benefit you in many, many ways. Um, so I, I love that. And I'm, I'm really grateful, you know, that Scott connected us in, in that way. So as I shared, you know, not only in the intro, but um, here a little bit, you're, you are a professional certified coach. That was another connection that you and I share um, is that you got your certification through IPEC, which is the, um, the certification program that my husband uh, went through. So I'm super connected to a lot of IPEC coaches. As a result, he was a lead trainer there for years. Mm-hmm. So that was another thing that I noticed about your, your profile and all the things that you do, but you're doing a lot of leadership and transition coaching for, for professional women. And, um, and you did recently do a TEDx talk and you are a big fan of storytelling. So we have so much to dive into today. Yeah. Um, let's just talk a little bit about, okay, let's just start with this Canadian connection. So you are originally from Halifax. Is that correct? So I was born just outside Toronto, uh, okay. in Ontario, um, sort of in the middle of the country to the right of the middle of the country for those who are not up on their Canadian geography. <laughs> lived there till I was 12. My dad worked for General Electric his entire career and took a job transfer uh, when I was 12. And he said to my sister and me, girls, we're moving to Nova Scotia. And we were just like, what? What? I mean, we knew about it because we learned about it in school, but it it was it felt a little remote. Remote, so yeah. Here, when I was twelve, I went to junior high and high school here, university, and when I graduated, when I was twenty three, I did the thing that twenty three year olds want to do, which is to get as far away from where you grew up as possible. So if you look at where Nova Scotia is on the map, which is like the northeast, and then you look at where San Diego is on a map, which is southwest. I, when you could still buy a one-way plane ticket, bought a one-way plane ticket to San Diego, thinking I would spend just a summer there. And I, I did. I was waiting tables on the beach, riding my bike to and from work, trying to understand what kind of life had I been living before I lived in. So it just felt like perfection. It was so beautiful. Um, and those three months actually turned into 20 years in the U.S. So from San Diego, I spent a number of years in San Diego, a number of years in LA, a number of years in New York, a brief stint in New Jersey. I don't really talk about, <clears throat> and then uh, <laughs> a year, a year in London. My husband, my husband's from the UK, so a year in London. Came back to New York. COVID hit. I have a small child. Uh, they were sending up morgues on street corners mm-hmm. as it was rolling out, and it did not feel like the right place for us to be living for anyone really to be living mm-hmm. we were part of the mass exodus from manhattan yeah. came back to nova scotia didn't really know what we were doing or how long we would stay and that was two years ago so here, and we here are. you are we are and who knows how long we'll stay but we are here for now yeah that's amazing and yeah you did make a massive uh, jump to go from far northeast uh canada nova scotia where it's cold, 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 all the way down to sunny San Diego, where it's warm, warm, warm. Um, I love it. And San Diego is one of my favorite places. I have not been to Nova Scotia. You and my dear friend and client, Debbie Adams, who I've recently connected you with, um, she was recently on the podcast and we talked about um, Halifax and in in Nova Scotia. And it's it's on my list now because now I have two reasons to come there and see um, and see it and, and have get to meet, get to meet the two of you. Um, okay. I want to dive in first to my favorite topic, which is storytelling. And you call yourself a professional storyteller and you're really, 
in the business and you have a strong HR background and now this, um, you know, your certified professional coach, really focusing on career and transition coaching for women and helping them tell their professional stories. Tell me more about that. I want to know how you came to call yourself and see yourself as a professional storytelling how has storytelling infiltrated into your life? Oh my goodness, there's so many ways I can answer this because there's just so much. Um, when I was recruiting, when I would interview women, well, men uh-huh. and women, but predominantly women, I'd say, tell me a little bit about yourself when we're doing interviewing. Sure. And they would start with the year they graduated university and walk me through every job they've ever had up until now. And I'd stop them and I'd say, okay, look, I have your resume in front of me. I don't need you to walk me through it. Tell me about yourself. And they say, well, I am. No, you're telling me about your career history. Tell me about you. Tell me about things you're proud of. Tell me about accomplishments. Tell me about wins. And I would just be met with silence. Mm -hmm. And the answer would be, uh, I don't don't know. I don't want to brag. Who told you you're bragging? Why why do you think you're bragging? Well, I don't want to come across as arrogant. Okay you're reacting to things that are in your own head. If you're not going to self-advocate or self-promote during an interview or during the job search, you're never ever going to get the career you want or the money you deserve. So that was part of it, but also the resumes. I would read resumes of women who were CEOs at companies and half of them read like job descriptions. Mm-hmm. Then I would read oftentimes, not always, a man's resume. And it was just a list of his wins and his accomplishments and percentages and improvements and stats and very tangible. I thought there's a real disconnect here in the way, because I don't know about you, no one ever taught me how to write a resume. No one ever taught me how to go into a job interview successfully. It was something we were expected to figure out on our own, yet we had to learn calculus in school, which I don't think I've learned since then. So Yeah, exactly. We're teaching all the wrong things in school without question. Like, how about class for high schoolers on how to invest your money or how to save mm-hmm. for retirement? Like, anyway, that's a whole, we could do a whole Yeah, that's other, a whole other podcast whole episode other and we should do it. Yeah. But what I found was there was a real disconnect in the way women presented themselves during the interview process, mm-hmm. during the job search, on their resume, on their cover letter. To be honest, it was boring. I was so bored because I knew that these women were smart and dynamic and purpose-driven and they had done these amazing things in their career, but they were inside their own heads so they couldn't see it. And they were worried about how their confidence would be received if they actually spoke about the things that they'd done. So that was a big part of it for me. But the other thing that, that kind of got me to the point of saying storyteller from just transition or career coach is that I was a recruiter for 15 years and I identified very strongly as, what do you do? I'm a recruiter. Oh, what's your job? I'm a recruiter. How boring is that? That doesn't really say anything about me. And after I got certified to become a coach, because I knew I wanted to do more than just, you know, match people with jobs, I was going to a networking event. It was literally the weekend before New York City shut down for COVID. And I took the subway down from Washington Heights. For those of you who know New York, that's 184th Street. The event was down on like 30th. So it was a lengthy subway ride downtown. And I'm sitting on the subway muttering to myself, which fortunately everyone does in New York. So I didn't look weird saying, I'm a coach, I'm a coach, I'm a coach. Because I knew when you get to a networking event, what happens? People come up to you and they say, hi, nice to meet you. What do you do? 
And I just wanted to say, I'm a recruiter because it was so much easier. And I thought, I can tell my story however I want. This is not about somebody else's person. No one's going to challenge me if I say I'm a coach. So I got, I'm writing in my notebook. I go into the event, super nervous, massive imposter syndrome. And I walk in and immediately this woman says, oh, hi, what's your name? Jenny, what's your name? Carol, nice to meet you. So Jenny, what do you do? And my head's going, just tell her you're a recruiter. That's all you are. Your own. I said, I'm a coach. And she said, oh, cool. What kind of coaching do you do? Um, yes, what kind of coaching? I do uh, career and transition coaching for women. Wow, tell me more about that. And from that moment on in the day, I took every opportunity I could to tell anyone who would listen because every time I said it, it felt more true to me. But if you tell yourself you're the same thing forever, it's really hard to tell yourself a different story. So when I say professional storyteller, I focus on the story that we tell others in terms of our interviewing, our resume, but also the story we tell ourselves about who we are and what we actually do. And it's really fun. Oh, that's so good. And man, there are so many things in there that, um, you know, we could really unpack so many parallels to what I see with women every day as well of just, um, you know, you describe how they might tell them, tell you about themselves by, giving you their, their history, you know, the, when they were born, where they grew up, where they went to college, what did they graduate with? What jobs have they had? And I talk about this a lot in terms of storytelling, and this is telling your story in chronological order, instead of telling your story by focusing on areas of transformation that you've had in your life, right? Which is the highlight reel, the accomplishments, um, the big stories that you had, maybe the fact that you're a cancer survivor, you know, or any of those things are much more interesting than where did you grow up? Or what sort of degree do you have? Nobody really cares. You know, like you said, no one's gonna go check, check for evidence. And so if you walk into a room and someone says, you know, who are you? Like, what is your name? What, what, what do you do? What are you about? And you give them something that piques their interest. Like you did, like I'm a coach and like she wanted to know more, what kind of coaching it allows people to have those conversations. If I were to walk in a room and say, hi, I'm April and I'm from Texas or whatever, or I, you know, I have a journalism degree or, I mean, that might be interesting to someone, but most people are like, oh, okay. Like, what are they supposed to do with that information? Right. You know, it's really not anything that, like you said, it's very boring and it doesn't provide any real insight as to who you truly are. The second thing that I wanted to point out that you said was the internal story that we're telling ourselves and you yourself, like, we got to battle this imposter syndrome all day long. You know, I mean, I still battle it. I did a, I recently have been really focused on um, building out my LinkedIn. I've had LinkedIn since LinkedIn came out. Right. And I've built, I've really focused all of my efforts on other social media channels besides LinkedIn, even though I've had a LinkedIn profile sitting there for, I don't know how long has LinkedIn been out. It's probably 15 years or so. And I felt great intimidation about deciding to go over to LinkedIn and start playing. Thank God I did because that's how I met you. Um, But in the beginning, I had massive, you know, imposter syndrome, which makes no sense. I mean, I'm fine showing up over here as the storytelling and visibility expert 
why was I struggling so much to do that on LinkedIn? And so, of course, what I know to be true is the only way to get over your imposter syndrome is to put yourself out there. You know, you got to just plow through. And so I've been challenging myself to do these LinkedIn lives and do the things that I've done other places that have been incredibly successful for me and has gotten me out of my own way. But I also had to battle that same imposter syndrome. That's just one example of how I've had to battle it lately. And in in calling myself, so, you know, this storytelling coach. So when I go live on LinkedIn, I have this little lower third label that has my name and outside my name, I wrote, you know, storytelling and visibility experts. So when I show up on LinkedIn with my live videos, it, it not only just says my name, it says my name plus what I'm, what I claim to be, you know, and I'm having to just, it's forcing me to just be that person over there and not try to hide. And I can't even explain why I have felt such imposter syndrome around that when I have no problem doing that here on this podcast. I have no problem doing that inside my community. Um, I have no problem doing that on Facebook or Instagram playgrounds that I have played on for a while. Um, but yeah, when you, when you enter new arenas, it's sometimes just, um, these stories that we play inside of our head get really, really tricky. And this is the stuff that keeps women playing small, right? It keeps women playing small. So what have you experienced by telling your own story in a better way? Like what sort of true transformation have you experienced in your life? I mean, Every client, since I launched my business in 2020, which was not the best year to launch a business, obviously, (laughs) so officially launched in 2020, but really kicked it off in 2021. I think in my first year of business, I probably worked with 35 women, but they, every single person I worked with was a referral. The transformation really came from just being able to say, here's who I am, here's what I do, and here's how I can help you. But what I had to get past was the imposter syndrome that came with, like someone asked me, well, what results do you guarantee? And I said, you can't guarantee results in coaching. I can tell you what I will do with you. I'll go through all the things that we can accomplish, but it's a Mm two-person job. So if someone, and I've had people before who, you know, they feel stuck and they want to get unstuck and they think they're ready and willing to do the work, but they're not quite there yet. And then sometimes those people will kind of drop off and they'll come back later. So I think I really had to get out of my head that I had to produce something quantifiable or physical. Like when I first started doing my business, I was doing a lot of resume overhaul because it made me feel like I can produce, you're paying me for something And I can produce a finished product that I will present to you. And therefore you will know I've done a good job and I'm worth the money you've paid me. So that was me playing very small because I felt like putting myself out there to say, look, I do six month coaching. I do onboarding coaching. I help new hires set up a 30, 60, 90 day plan so that they have a voice at the table and and established leadership at their new job. But I was afraid to put those things out there because if someone said, we'll prove it. Yeah. What do I get for this money? What do I get? Well, you get me and you get my expertise and you get my pragmatism and you get my insight and you will get results, but you have to want them. So to your point about what you said with LinkedIn and getting out of your own way, 
it's been an ongoing process to get past this feeling that I have to produce something tangible for people and that the results, and this is my own thing. If I read my reviews or my testimonials, everyone's happy with the work that we do, but it's my own limiting belief that I'm only good or I'm only worth it if I can give you something solid. And I've had to move away from that because that's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. The, the gap with so many women and obviously myself and you included in this is this, um, the gap of really understanding and honoring our intrinsic worth, you know, regardless of accomplishment or regardless of results, regardless of another checkbox on the resume, any of those things, we really are struggling as a society of women to truly sit in and honor our intrinsic worth. And storytelling um, is a beautiful way to dig into that, I, I for sure. And I see it every single day. Um, you talk a lot about another gap as well, which is kind of similar, which is this confidence gap. Um, talk a little bit more about that because you know, even with what you're seeing with the women that are coming to you and, you know, like, okay, maybe stop telling the resume version of your story and start telling the story that allows you to really showcase who you are and what matters to you and what your passions are and what, you know, transformations you've had in your own life. How does that translate into confidence? How does that grow and help them tap into their confidence. And what is the confidence gap in your opinion? So this is something I really uncovered as I was getting ready for my TED Talk because I um, wanted to speak more about women's confidence issues overall and how yeah. we lack confidence and how we need to be more confident if we could just be more like men, blah, blah, blah. I started really digging in and reading all these interesting like Harvard Business Review um, articles, which is not normally my go-to news source, but really interesting. And, and then I started going back and talking to clients that I'd worked with in the past. And I had made this assumption that the reason that my clients, my female clients weren't getting ahead or weren't getting paid what they want or weren't getting promoted at the same rate is because they just weren't competent enough. And then I went back and, and spoke to 40 of them. And I said, do you think you lack confidence? And they said, no. Why do you think I lack confidence? No, uh, no, I, of course not. No, I don't think you lack confidence. But so, but you've mentioned confidence before. What, what is the issue with confidence? And the answer I got from every, from 39 out of 40 women, phrased differently, of course, was they don't lack confidence. They worry how their confidence will be received. Yep. Women are expected to walk this fine line between appearing confident, but remaining humble. Mm -hmm. And one of the most interesting things I uncovered in my research was if you look at performance evaluations, and if you compare performance reviews for men and women, there is a very, very stark difference. Men are not critiqued or reviewed on their personality. Men are usually given room to grow, tips for areas of improvement, new skills to acquire. Women are very often critiqued on how they work with others. Well, listen, you really need to watch your tone, April. It's, it's, you're just coming across, you know, Jenny doesn't like working with you because you're just really bossy. And she actually said you're a little bitchy. It's like no one said, so then what happens 
to us as women, it goes back to this play a little bit smaller, yep. be a little bit less because you're being too much. And I noticed this even more with women of color. They, oh. they are just basically silenced and sidelined because they are too loud, too aggressive, too abrasive. And it just, it's terrible. So we don't, so the confidence gap is this mythical belief that women lack confidence in the workplace. But the truth is, in my opinion, and based on the research I read and the women I spoke to, that's not the issue. The issue and the onus to change is on corporations. So mm. we can educate leaders to make sure they understand that yes, men and women express confidence differently. And men and women's confidence is received differently, but it is this differential treatment that creates the problem. So if we can help everyone understand that women aren't lacking confidence, they're just expressing it differently, maybe they wouldn't be passed up for promotion as much. Maybe they wouldn't be paid less. So it's something you can tell I'm really passionate about and it's super exciting. But when we keep seeing these articles on LinkedIn and, and on the Muse and places like that, where it says, how can women be more confident in the workplace? Or women are losing confidence and here's what to do about it. It's just fueling this problem that makes us feel like we can fix it. We just need to be more like men. And that's not the case at all. Oh, a thousand percent. And I'm glad that you, you even said that um, how we fix it is by reaching the corporations, the heads of states, you know, if you will, like what, you know, the leaders of the groups um, who are probably majority of them are men, you know, because that's also where a gap still exists. Talk about that a little bit more like, what does that look like? Do you think like, I, you know, I talk about this all the time too, but I often then think, but yeah, but how, like, how do we change it in like, how do we reach those people? I mean, what can we do as women to raise and elevate our voices more to penetrate that top level, top tier, um, leadership to get their attention, that they're they're actually part of the problem too, or big part of the problem. Yeah, absolutely. My my goal by the end of this year is to have put together some training so that I can go into some of these organizations, even if I have to start with a smaller department before yeah. I can really work my way up to be sitting down with Bill Gates or whoever to say, sure. here's the situation. Here is the problem. Show some statistics. Talk about these Harvard Business Review articles and say, what if everyone understood that women aren't lacking confidence. What if we stopped assuming women are lacking confidence and that's why they're not putting themselves forward for raise. That's why they're not asking for a promotion. That's why they're so quick to take no for an answer. But what if the issue is much more that no one understands how women express confidence because of the way it's received? What if we can rewire that thinking and hold women up and make them feel safe in the workplace to speak to their wins and accomplishments without the backlash of stay in your lane, you're too big for your britches. I remember those little mists and little mister books that were mm -hmm. around when I was a kid. And I remember Little Miss Bossy. Have you ever gone back and read that book? No, I haven't. Uh, I, bet it's, it, I bet it's horrible. It's horrible. Basically, Little Miss Bossy was a little too big for her britches. So some wizard put these like big block boots on her so she couldn't walk anywhere. It, it's just craziness. So that's the messaging. I mean, I know I grew up in a, in a culture of good little girls are seen and not heard. 
And yeah. it was fine for my cousin who was a year younger to throw his He-Man castle down the stairs and like shout like an animal. But I was just supposed to be demure and smile and polite. And will you carry, if that's ingrained in you as a child and you carry that into your adult life, how do you ever advocate for yourself? You don't, you wait for your hard work to be noticed. I work with clients all the time who say, I've been at this company for six years and I've never gotten a raise. Okay, have you asked for one? No, but they should see how hard I'm working. Should be obvious. No, no, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, I so agree that number one, we as women have to advocate for ourselves. And I know that's such a big, huge piece of your work, um, which is about really teaching women how to advocate for themselves, teaching them how to share their story in that professional role, um, teaching them how to claim and, and celebrate their wins and their accomplishments and learn to let go of that fear of judgment, really what that's, it's all tied into like, what are other people going to think of me? What if they think I'm too loud? What if they think I'm a bitch? What if they think these things? And I think the responsibility for women, for us is to do it anyway. It's kind of like you walking into that networking meeting and saying, I'm a coach. You know, and I'll be damn, I'm going to say that no matter what they think, you know, it's like me getting on LinkedIn and putting that label on. I'm a storytelling expert. I am a storytelling expert. That's ridiculous that I even had that thought. You know, I've nice. been doing this work for freaking 30 years. When am I going to celebrate and accept that for myself? Right. It's ridiculous. The other nice. thing that I want to say. I'm so this like my blood's boiling right now. Um, I wrote a chapter in our book, Elevate Your Voice. Um, I need to send you a copy, Jenny. And there was a piece of my story of, I talk about in my chapter of this book about when I was in my 20s and I was working in television and I was up for a big promotion, um, a big, huge stepping stone in my career which would have allowed me to just elevate and fast track faster, um, you know, and you would think that that promotion would have um, included a pay raise, which when I went in to meet with my manager, it did not. And when I inquired about why this big promotion didn't come with a pay raise. And it might have, it might've been like a thousand dollars a year, you know, but it wasn't what I would consider a pay raise. And, um, you know, but we, we should be grateful. And that was the tone and the message with which I, you know, got back from the managers. Like, you know, this is a really good move for you, April. Um, most of your colleagues would, would be begging for this opportunity, which insinuated that I should be grateful and the promotion and the title alone should be enough for me. And I don't know, Jenny, like who, what, how, <laughs> but somewhere inside of my very young soul, um, I knew that that was wrong and no one was really coaching me or telling me that. No, I really, the only coaching I had was from my husband at the time, because I'd already taken him the proposal and said, this is what, you know, this is what the job offer is. What do you think? And he's like, well, what do you think? And I'm like, well, I thought it would have come with the, with more money. Like I'm, you know, 
I was starving at the time. I really was not making much money. And I really wanted to make more money because it was stressful. You know, it's stressful when you're starting out in your career and you are starving and you're eating beans and rice. I did all of those things, which was just so crazy because meanwhile, I had this fancy job of being on television and no one really knew how crappy that job really was. And so it was supposed to be enough to, for me that I was like a local celebrity and that I would be seen more and that I could do. And I also would be working harder. Let's don't like, you know, leave that out. But I declined that job offer. I stood my ground and I look, and when I was writing this chapter, I mean, I did, I looked back on that. I'm like, how in the world did I do that? Mm. You know, 28 years old, maybe, I don't even know how old I was, but it was in my young twenties. And, um, you know, I, I think the April of today would have done that at 50. I, hell yeah. I'd be like, oh no, forget you. I turn down stuff all the time because they're not paying me. And I'm like, nope, <laughs> not for right. me, but it took me 50 years to be able to do that confidently, you know, but how uh, something, there was a spark in me in my twenties that did it. And, um, I look back on that and realize what a monumentous moment that was for me. But the problem was that I didn't change the system. I just didn't take the job. You know, I'm quite sure that whoever ended up taking that job took it with the same terms and conditions that were offered me, which is, you know, and so it's really got, when women do step up and speak, we have to be, we have to be, that, that voice has to be heard by the higher ups, right. And specifically by the men. And I I don't know. I, that's a big part of why I do this podcast, because I, I do want to share my story and I want to share the other stories of women like yours in hopes that someone will start listening, you know? Um, and that's all I know to do. That's why we titled this book, elevate your voice is all I know to do is to get louder and louder and louder and to challenge my own imposter syndrome, to do the things that make me nervous and scared to do the big things when I am sitting over here worried about what are other people going to think. But then my very next thought is like, well, I, it's not my responsibility, what they think my responsibility is to do this work so that hopefully I can pave the way for someone else. And they won't have to work as hard and they won't have to worry about those thoughts. Uh, 150%. I know. The, the, the be grateful thing is massive. Like, it's massive. And unfortunately, I think that goes hand in hand with the playing small. The little girls are seen and not heard. Don't be bragging. Like, wait for your hard work to be noticed. And unfortunately, the whole be grateful I applied the same practice of being just to be grateful to my career and to my dating life. I made some terrible dating choices mm -hmm. because I did not approach my career or my dating life with any kind of intention. Mm -hmm. You know, if a guy liked me, then I thought, oh, well, he, okay, well, there must be something really interesting about me if he likes me. So I should probably go out, yeah, I'll go out with them. I'll, I'll sleep with them. Sure. Because, because, you know, uh, I'm just so grateful that someone just this, paid attention to you. Yeah. Paid attention to me and same with careers. And that's part of what got me into coaching because I felt like the first 15 years of my job just happened to me. I took jobs because they were offered after all this time. I felt like I, I've said this before. I was on this road trip with no map, I wasn't driving and I didn't know where I was, but I knew I didn't want to be there. So I had to get the car back to the beginning so I could start a new road trip, making stops along the way that I actually wanted to be. And yeah. just 
changing that because when I tell women that I feel like my career just happened to me and I didn't really choose it, it's amazing how much that resonates and how many people feel that way. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that analogy of just like taking the car back to the beginning, you know, taking it back to the starting gate and, and taking a new path, like choosing to put yourself in the driver's seat, number one, not to just be a passenger and to choose the route in which, where you want to go. It's, it's huge. And it, it does take, you know, you get to use the confidence that we have Absolutely. And then we also get to make really powerful decisions. Um, making a decision in your life is the most important thing you can do, like really being decisive um, and choosing, choosing wisely, right? It's like so, so powerful. Yeah. Um, I, want, I want you, I want to move into you sharing more about your TEDx talk because I haven't had a, ch- I don't even think it's out yet. As, out at yet. the time of this recording, I don't think it's out yet. Correct. Right. Let me tell you, this process of waiting for it to come out is just keeping me up at night. I mean, <sighs> it's basically what happens is you, you give the TEDx. So my TEDx was in Roland Park, which is a subdivision of Baltimore, beautiful private school. I think Obama's kids went this talk. I don't know. Some fam- it's beautiful. It's like $30,000 a year. Send your kids to their school. It's insane. Yeah. But anyway, so the talk was at this at the school. And what happens is, you know, you give the talk, it's recorded, gets all edited and made pretty and fancy, and then it gets uploaded to Ted. And then Ted has to approve it. Um, and there were 10 of us that spoke. And I think six have been approved and mine is still pending. So I'm totally sweating it out. And um, my TEDx coach was like, look, it doesn't mean anything. She said hers took like three months to get approved and there was no rhyme or reason to the order. But of course I have in my head now, like, they're not going to approve it. They're not going to approve me. Of course. So there goes that, like, you know, that that struggle again, you know, yeah. like what's wrong with me? Why don't, you know, and of course it, it's so prevalent. So we have to hold space for you to know that it is absolutely coming. And when it does, I will be more than happy to come back and update the show notes of this podcast so that when future listeners stumble across it, they will um, have a link to your, to your TEDx. Cause I'm going to be um, you know, watching for it as well. Can't wait to, to listen to it, but give everyone, you talk a lot about the confidence gap in obviously, because you were doing all of the research uh, for that, for your TEDx talk. Um, so we definitely want to listen to your full talk, but I want to hear about just that ex- decision, making a decision to put yourself out there in such a big way as a speaker on that red dot, which is kind of the pinnacle for a lot of people. You know, it's something that, um, that I, that I have thought a lot about. I haven't made the decision yet myself to go for TEDx, but I really know it takes a lot of guts to do it. And I'm, I'm just, um, I admire you for doing it. And I want to hear more about that experience. Thank you. You know, it's so interesting. I don't really have any experience public speaking. I mean, I've done a couple, I've done webinars before, but never in front of a large audience. And what was really interesting to me through this process was public speaking actually doesn't bother me at all. The scariest part for me was memorizing that Mm -hmm. 11 minute speech, as you and I talked about before, because I said, I think the last thing I memorized was my phone number in like 2004. So, <laughs> exactly. you know, having to, and it wasn't just memorizing the speech. So it's, 
When you get approved to do the TEDx, you get matched up with a TEDx speaker coach and you meet with that person once a week, pretty much all through March, all through April, all through May, and then the beginning of June. So it is a big time commitment. In addition to that, once a, uh, once a month, you do a, a two and a half hour group coaching with all the speakers so everyone can practice with everyone and give each other feedback. It's, it's a massive, plus you're writing your speech, but the speech that you start with is certainly not the speech that you mm-hmm. can with because it evolves and you're changing and you're taking things out and you're simplifying. Um, the memorization part was really, really hard for me. I had to break the speech up into different sections and tape it up in different places around the house. When I was, And they say the worst thing you can do is memorize your speech from start to finish because then you always know the beginning really, really well. But as you get towards the end, you always forget the end. So do it in sections and then just memorize them in, you know, whatever order and then put it together as you get towards the end. So, um, you know, when I came out on stage, fortunately, I was speaker number two, because if I'd been number 10, I probably would have had a nervous breakdown. (laughs) You're trying to make sure that you're not going to forget anything. Came out on stage started giving speech, everything was going so well. And my brain says to me, you are killing this. And I was like, yeah, I am. But my brain interrupted my brain. Yeah. Like, oh crap, what, where am I in my speech? Like, it was like, I looked away for one second. Yeah. Fortunately, this happened at a part of the speech where I say something along the lines of, but what if I was wrong? Or what if my approach was off? And what the advice from the speaker coaches was, is that if you forget your speech at any point, stop, stay very, very still. Don't laugh your arms about and try to throw words in because they can edit that out for when it actually comes out. So Mm -hmm. I stood very still. It felt like 45 minutes as I'm trying to get my brain back together. I think it was about six seconds, but it felt really long. I bet. It came back. I just picked it right back up where I was. And as I finished and walked off the stage, I like, I actually thought I would just collapse from exhaustion because it takes up so much mental. Oh, it's so much energy. Yes. Constantly in your head, reciting your speech, you wake up in the morning, you're reciting your speech, it's just constant. So I had this new space in my brain, which was great. But when I went back into the green room, the other speakers, they were so sweet. And they're like, look, only because we know your speech, we know that you forgot. But if we didn't, we would have thought you were just having a very deep moment of reflection. And I was like, really? They're like, you're good. The dramatic pause, the right? Very dramatic pause. Yeah. So I've seen, I've seen the recorded version. Um, we just obviously until it's approved by Ted, we can't do anything with it. But uh, props to our editor because he did a really good job. So it is still a pause, but just not quite as dramatic. It's not a six second pause. It's not a six second pause. Yeah. Oh, you know, and I think that's, and I told you this when we spoke privately, I said, I really do think that's the only thing that keeps me from doing it is, is the fear. This is the fear, the fear of having to memorize something and you are under a time limit with Ted Mm -hmm. and you have to sit, you have to stand still, you know, you kind of have to just maintain uh, onto that red dot. And, um, when I speak, I'm a, I, my nervous energy comes out in movement. Actually, my nervous energy comes out even when I'm like on live streams and things like that. Like I'm, my body is moving and that's just how, 
I've allowed that to happen. You know, like I don't make apologies for it because it's just how I move the energy through my body when I'm nervous. And of course you're going to be nervous when you're standing in front of a room full of people. I don't think even the most professional speakers would ever tell you that some of those nerves ever go away. I think it's natural, you know, because we want to perform. We want to do a good job. You want to, you want to express your thoughts so that the audience can receive them and benefit from it. That's why we're nervous. And, you know, it's not that I, necessarily care that I'm a perfect performer for sure. But the big fear is that I'll just have this massive brain lapse and I won't remember. And you know, then what, um, which is again, a silly fear, no, maybe not a silly fear, but it's a fear worth challenging. I know that. Um, so hearing your story is in other people who have done TEDx's that I know, always is very inspiring. So thank you for sharing that. I can't wait to watch well, the video when it gets when, approved, which it will be any day now. Yeah. And, um, I really, I'm just, I, I love that topic. You know, I think it's a really important thing that we're sharing today. And it's why I wanted to have you on the show, which was, um, you know, to, to really tap deeper into women's stories and to challenge us to, to use our voices in powerful ways, to exude our confidence, um, because it really is beautiful, actually. To see a confident woman is so, in, like to me, like you going out and doing a TEDx talk, it, it, you know, says to me, you're a confident woman because that takes, like I said, it takes guts. And I admire that. I really admire women, men and women who are doing big things and doing things despite their fear, despite their own imposter syndrome. We all have it. And I actually admire you for talking about it. Right. So, um, I, I just love this conversation. Okay. A couple of like quick fire questions before we sign off. Um, what is one thing that truly inspires you and moves you out of bed every day? Oh my gosh. The women that I meet, honestly, mm -hmm. it's just when I see like a Calendly come in with a new call that's been set up and someone's taken the time to answer those questions about mm -hmm. and made themselves vulnerable because my questions are like, why are we connecting? Yeah. What do you want to work on? What are you struggling with? What's your biggest roadblock right now? What do you feel best at? It's hard for people to answer those questions. Yeah. So, you know, I felt as I was approaching 40 and had been doing recruiting for so long and recruiting so transactional, I wasn't, I didn't feel like I was truly getting to know people anymore. My world felt like I was having all these conversations, but none of them meant anything because I was really just helping people get more money, get more yeah. money. Yeah. And now I'm helping people propel themselves forward in their life. And it's not about money. And it's amazing. Um, also my daughter, because she gets up at like 6 15. So <laughs> yeah, that's part of it too. Yeah. yeah, but definitely just, and I want to add really quickly. It's, there are men that struggle with these same issues. Absolutely. Clients who I just spoke with one today. He has massive imposter syndrome. He was bullied growing up. He was told to play small. He doesn't know how to speak to his wins and his accomplishments. He's very scared to say, what if I say I did something and then someone proves I didn't do it? And I'm like, no one is going to fact check your resume. You don't have to be scared of that. So it is a problem that men and women struggle with. I've chosen because I sought more in women to really advocate for women, but I do have probably five or six 
male clients right now. And I always try to not label it as just a woman problem, because if I do that, then men feel that there's something wrong with them because they're being like women. Right. I don't want that either. True. Um, so I, Very I true. try to really make sure that I'm not, you know, pooping on the men. But the other thing too, that we talked about, I've had some really tough men managers who don't value me, but I've had some women managers who do not appreciate women expressing confidence either. Totally. Women to stay small. So when I talk about how do we educate the leaders, it's got to be all the leaders. It's got to be the men and the women, because there is a fundamental understanding, misunderstanding of women and how they talk about confidence. Oh, it's so, so important. It's so important. Okay. What is one thing that keeps you up at night? Oh, I didn't have my daughter till I was 40. And sometimes I get in my head doing the math of how old I will be when she's a certain age. And I get really mm. scared I won't be there for her because I lost my mom during the pandemic, not to the pandemic, but she had MS for a long time. Uh, so I think things that keep me up at night is wishing I had been with her when she passed away, my mom, because of COVID restrictions, I came back here to Nova Scotia to be with her because she was in the hospital but because of restrictions, I wasn't allowed in the hospital. So I just said goodbye to her over FaceTime and she was unconscious and it was unbelievable. And I was on day two of a 14 day quarantine alone with a two-year-olds. My mom passed away and Morley and I had 12 more days to spend together in the house because that was the rule in Nova Scotia at the time if you came in during the pandemic. So I think I have a, some residual trauma from that and, sure. and sometimes worry that I won't be there for her when she needs me. So that's... Mm. Yeah. Nothing makes you realize your mortality more than having a child. Oh, for sure. Yeah. 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 And walking your parents through death, you know? Yeah. That's, um, I relate to, um, all of that. So thank you so much for sharing today and for just, um, being a voice for women, the way that you are, uh, just love what you're doing and so grateful our past, uh, crossed and really excited to continue to get to know you and just continue to circle together and support each other. Of course, we're going to link up every channel for you, but what's your favorite place for people to connect with you? What's the one you would send everybody to, but we'll link them all up in our show notes. You know what? I send everyone to Instagram because I just love reels and making videos. And I think it's a great way to really talk to people. So my Instagram is Jenny Ward careers, but like you, I've been on LinkedIn since like the inception and I do not take advantage of it enough. So I'm trying to make more of a, an appearance on LinkedIn, but I'm definitely most active on Instagram. Okay. There we go. There we go. Connect with Jenny. She's a, a bright light in the world for sure. And a champion for women's stories. So all the more reason for, um, for you all to connect with her, reach out to her, let her know that you listened to this episode. Um, if there was anything in particular that she shared that you, you know, it's always nice to hear from the listeners, you know, like, Oh, I really love that part. Or this part of your story resonated with me too. Or gee, I think I might have some confidence gap issues, you know, like it's okay. Like we want to hear those things. So definitely reach out to either one of us on Instagram. So we would love to connect with you as always. So thank you all for being here. Thanks to Jenny for being my guest today. 
If you guys haven't yet subscribed and left us a review, oh my gosh, head over there and do that too so that you don't miss an episode of the Inside Story Podcast. And we'll be back next week with another episode. We'll see you then. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget to give it a review and share this broadcast out with your friends and family. Now, did listening to this episode make you think more about your own story? Are you wondering which parts of your own story are relevant to share with others? This is the question I get asked more than any other. How do I share my story? Which parts of my story are worth sharing with other people? How can I make my story relatable so that others can benefit from it? I've taken my simple process that I've used for years as a journalist and broken it down into a three-part storytelling formula that will help you discover the key components of your own story and how to share it. It's a free resource I've created to help you become a light beamer by sharing your story. Simply go to www.lightbeamers.com and click on the big yellow button on the homepage to download your story formula. I'd love to hear your story too. So be sure to join my free community on Facebook, the Light Beamers community, and share your story with me. I can't wait to learn more about you and the story that's inside of you. In the meantime, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you can get notified when our next broadcast is live. You will want to stay tuned to the stories we are lining up for you next. I promise they are so good. As always, Light Beamers, I'm over here cheering for you. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.